Welcome to the Wretched Hive Podcast. I got a bad feeling about this. Moss Eisley Spaceport. What are you talking about? You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. This is ridiculous. We must be cautious. Actually, we're just a bunch of guys talking about Star Wars and other stuff. I'm looking forward to having some real talk with some real folks. That's good news. I like the sound of that. And welcome back to another episode of the Wretched Hive, folks. Thanks for joining us. It is uh, today, as we record, it is Saturday, April the 10th, coming to you to talk about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode number four. With me today, just Dave, Dave and Greg show. Dave, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for having me, Greg. Greg. It's very lonely on these shows when it's just me here, so I'm glad at least one other Hivian is willing to get up at the god-awful hour of 9.45 to talk about a TV show. (laughs) So, so in a little bit of fairness fairness, to Scott, not to Nico, Nico. it's Scott's birthday today, so we'll just, we'll break form out of the show for a little bit here just to say, happy birthday, Scott. Happy birthday, fellow Hivian. Scott Ivansky, the most loyal member of the show, takes all of our abuse from pretty much five out of the five guys here. And that is, yes, Scott literally abuses himself on this show. Um, and, and thank God it's not a video show. And God damn it, that guy does not deserve to have us as friends. But we all love him nonetheless. And happy birthday, buddy. Wish you a good one. And to Steve as well, the host, the founder our guiding spirit, Steve Baldwin, had a birthday a couple days ago. Was it the... I'm sorry, I don't know the exact date. I think it was Thursday, maybe Wednesday. Does anybody was, know what the... It was, it was one of the days of the days week. this week. <laughs> Steve Baldwin, we also wish you a happy birthday. It is birthday week here on The Wretched Hive, and everybody has bailed on this show except for me and Dave. So thank God we're still here holding down the fort to talk to you guys about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And here and we are. Here we are. <laughs> I was hoping. I, I was. I, I was. I'm getting a I, really weird echo feedback half the time in my headphones, and it's really well, distracting me. Okay. Well, we're just gonna have to work through that. So we're yeah. talking about episode four. We are entering into the this. I guess you would call this the end of the second act, and we'll be beginning the third act of a six episode arc. Is what we're talking about here. And boy, lots to talk about this week. This was the episode. The whole world is watching. And I guess that refers to a couple things. The end of last week's episode, when the Flag Smashers actually break out and, and start becoming actual terrorist terrorists. And something that's coming up towards the end of this show uh, that we'll get to in just a few minutes. Dave, high-level thoughts. What are your thoughts on episode four so far? I, I'm going to actually steal the thought from an old high school classmate of mine, Drew Lanning, who shared on social media. And I actually didn't see his share until after I had watched the episode pretty late last night. But his post was basically to the effect of, it's very rare that I watch a television show and at the end say out loud, holy shit. But I had that kind of visceral reaction to this week's Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, I kind of did too. I kind of did too. There was a, a big holy shit moment at the end. You know, you and I last week had a little bit of a disagreement. Um, I thought it was the strongest episode of the season of the series so far. Uh, you thought it was the weakest, so you can't get much more polar opposite than that. Um, uh, I don't know that this 
really built on what I felt was a strong episode last week. But but I will say that uh, that last image there that we got of the show was a holy shit moment. Like it is going to go down. Uh, but that's coming up for for later on. Uh, we yes. get a, we get a very we get a cold open at the beginning of this episode, kind of setting up the relationship of uh, Bucky and Io, as they have now mentioned, or Ao Io. I'm going to call her Io just because I can. Um, she is the Wakandan warrior. She was in the Black Panther movie. Uh, I still don't remember her in the movie, but she was a character who was in there. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> random Io character. <laughs> She she was uh, there. She was she was standing off to the side. Uh, it's kind of like how Kira Knightley is one of the handmaidens in Phantom Menace. Uh, Kira Knightley from the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise uh, is one of the handmaidens for Padme Amidala in the Phantom Menace. And I swear to God, I could not pick her out of a fucking crowd out of any one of those five chicks who were there. They all just looked the same. The, the best <laughs> the best part about that is Kira Knightley in interviews will will always respond with, "I was in that movie. Really, I was in that movie." <laughs> completely forgetting about it um and this cold open just so again it's uh it just brings us back a little bit to the relationship of uh of bucky and with uh io specifically and the wakandans in general um and i thought it was a a a good cold open just showing that bucky terrified of his past and terrified of what he can do and really just you know we talked about him being racked with guilt and we talked about his his guilt that popped up in the first episode of this series um and I thought this was a, a, a good kind of flashback to that. Just reminder that it's it's the Wakandans who really helped save him from 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 that and and wipe the 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 the, the mind control, the brainwashing, whatever you want to call it, that had started back with the with the with Arnim Zola and the uh, and the Red Skull, uh, and now he's free of that thanks to the Wakandans. And that this is just a reminder of that and sets up that that. Not only does uh, does Bucky have loyalty to Sam and those things, he also has loyalty to the, to the Wakandans as well. Dave, your thoughts on that? I, I agree with everything that you're saying. I think it's also worth pointing out that uh, Sebastian Stan has given some interviews recently where he talks about how fans of his character will come up to him on the street and just start repeating his, the trigger words to him as the Winter Soldier. <laughs> And I just want to implore you guys out there, and I'm not going to lie, I've had the thought of doing it myself if I ever meet Mr. Stan, but it it clearly, you're not the first person in the world to think of this. You're not impressing him at this point. Just let the man live his life. If you want to go up to him and ask for an autograph, go up to him and ask for an autograph, but don't walk up and start saying things like Rusty, 17, da-da-da. Don't don't start rattling him off to him. (laughs) You're not original. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, if a guy is a... uh, uh, a superpowered Russian assassin. Do you really want to turn him on? Is that really what you want to do? Pretty sure some of the female listeners would say yes, but that's a whole different uh, kettle whoa. of fish, right there. Whoa, I, I, that's not quite where I thought that where that was going, but, uh, but okay. Um, so in the meantime, we go back to Sam. They're still in uh, in Latvia, and they are now on the trail for Donia Madani, who last episode we all figured out that she has uh, passed away, and I think that Sam and Falcon Soldier have as well. Yes? Latvia, of course, uh, unmentioned, but Latvia is the fictional kingdom that Doctor Doom rules in the Fantastic Four, so... And I gotta pull the uh, I gotta pull the cord on that one. You're thinking of Latveria. Is yes, what Latveria. Latvia, Latvia, an actual place filled with actual people. 
could be ruled by Dr. Doom, though, depending on if it's an East, <laughs> former Eastern European communist bloc nation. It is a former Eastern bloc European communist nation is what it is, though, Dave. That's what it is. Just throwing it out there. Could be ruled by Dr. Doom. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Latveria, much like Wakanda and Madripoor, are uh, one of the made-up uh, regional places that do not exist in the real world. Latvia, however, is a real place. And the reason I know that is because my wife has family from Latvia and reminds me every time Latvia appears on the screen somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> How nice of her to make sure that you don't forget this fact about her that clearly you've known for, you know, I'm going to throw out there at least 25 years. Yes, yeah, so we've been together 25 years and she still likes to remind me that she has family from Latvia. So just another reason why I adore my wife uh, immensely there. Uh, so uh, they're on the trail of Donia Madani, who I thought was actually uh, the mother of Carly Morgenthau. But uh, she's just more like a mother figure. She's kind of like the spiritual leader of the Flag Smashers. Somebody obviously influenced a lot of those people to do work. And I'm going to say good work as well, because they're not just straight up terrorists. They have been, you know, clo clothing the uh, the needy. They've been feeding the, the hungry. They've been helping the homeless. Um, well, and I mean, Robin Hood was a terrorist from a certain point of view, right? From a certain point of view. There you go. Bringing it back to Star Wars like we always do. Um, and uh, so they're they're out on the trunk on, on the hunt for where where the they're going to be having this funeral, uh, Sam and Bucky and also Zemo, uh, dancing Zemo, as I like to call him. If you did not, go make sure you check out the one-hour cut of dancing Zemo that's out there in the wild. Um, almost better than this episode, I thought, I thought actually. I've watched the full hour of dancing Zemo, and I thought it was just phenomenal. <laughs> is, it, is it better or worse than Zemo's jacket in this episode? Because I'm not going to lie, I want that jacket. We talked about this last week, and that jacket is pretty tight. Uh, you know, if you're talking full-on leather trench with a fur collar, I, I can't see one much better than this jacket, sir. Um, so if anybody is looking for gifts for the Wretched Hive this year, I think matching uh, matching fur fur collared leather trenches for all of us, uh, maybe our next photo will be a, it will be our next group photo. We'll all be wearing the same jacket, and we'll all have you know. Maybe some Zemo mask. I don't know. I I think I I'm I'm kind of excited about it, Dave. I, I would totally be down for this plan. And I, think I, I am I am all in. <laughs> so uh, Zemo also there with them, uh, and as they're trying to get some leads as far as where they're going to go, Zemo works his magic uh, with a little bit of candy. And is is this a little bit gross? I mean, is this is is this it's completely little, cliche enticing the children with candy is that was was that a little too cliche for the show it's a little disturbing it's a little disturbing gave me like a I, I and i may be off base on this but i would swear that turkish delight was the candy that uh the one kid consumed in narnia that the evil white queen used to entice him over to the dark side basically the lion the witch in the wardrobe you're absolutely lion. correct so that was that was giving me all kinds of weird childhood flashbacks but yeah the idea that the bad guy is creating contacts and allies on the other side by basically enticing children with candy it was cliche and uh evil and smart all at the same time multiple things going on now let's let's sidebar for just a second i just want to ask you have you have you ever actually had a a turkish delight do you, do you know do you know what Turkish delight is, and have you ever had it? 
I have not ever knowingly had one, no. It is fucking gross. Let me just say that. I don't know. There are cultural differences throughout the world. I realize this. Um, for example, I have a friend who is from Denmark. Uh, and, and, and I met him when he had first moved over from Denmark. He had spent a little bit of time in America, but he'd never really lived here. But he, he, he moved over here. Um, and so I met him shortly after that move. And, and as we're comparing things, he's like, how can you guys eat peanut butter? It is so disgusting. And I was like, I was literally offended because peanut butter for me, top five foods, Dave, peanut butter, top five foods of all time. So for somebody to be offended by that, I did not understand it until I've had Turkish delight because it is, it is like a piece of hard jello. It's got a little bit of jello consistency, but it's hard and it has nuts in it. What the actual fuck is up with Turkish delight? <laughs> it, it seems like the kind of thing that your grandfather would offer you. And that kind of just made it reinforce the kind of creepy old school villain vibe that I'm getting from Baron Zemo, like his hideout. It looks like your, you know, your grandfather's study with the weird glass windows and the old school wood paneled furniture everywhere. <laughs> Oh, I have Turkish delight. Would you like some Turkish delight? He likes he offers it to, you know, Bucky at one point before he dumps the bag out with the children. It did <laughs> it's just so delightfully in character for what that guy is. Like he takes this thing that is, you know, to your point, disgusting that Americans turn their nose up at, and he just walks into the camp, sits down, dumps it out with a bunch of children. One of the kids takes the candy and he turns it into his evil little minion contact as a result. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, like I said, uh, very creepy, very in character, but also very smart all at the same time. Very smart because it is successful. He's he actually gets the uh, gets the information from the kids, and not only that, he manages to convince them not to give it to Sam and Bucky. So he is the one holding all the cards right now, uh, and he uses that to his advantage. Uh, we do have a quick aside with Carly Morgenthau, Morgenthau, just to really established that she's carrying all of the remainder of the super soldier serum on her person. And that becomes important in just a little bit because they just have to set up the fact that she's got it all with her um, and she carries it on her at all times. Uh, so we do have, um, as the heroes are, are searching uh, again for the, uh, for the funeral location with Zemo's help. Now we get, we get our first run in, with John Walker, the new Captain America, who just happens to be walking around the streets of downtown uh, Latvia in his full Captain America regalia, which I thought was a little odd. As, as you're trying to keep keep kind of a low key, you know, presence there as you're on the hunt for something, is that how you show yeah. up? Is he trying to keep a low key presence though? Is he? Uh, apparently not. Apparently not. Like, apparently like, he's perfectly happy. Because like I'm saying I, he's I, a guy who's just not quite up to the job. He just yeah. seems like he feels like I show up. I tell people I'm Captain America and things start to happen. And that I, is no, not how the world works. You're, you're kind of right. He just he he he's he, he is trying to be just his presence will demand respect and and project authority. And it's just not there. And I contrast that with uh, Sam for the past two episodes has not worn his Falcon gear at all for the past, maybe even the past three. I'd have, I'm not quite sure in episode two if he was wearing the Falcon gear or not. 
Um, but definitely the last two episodes, he has just been Sam. He has not been Falcon at all. Uh, and realizing that he's kind of has to do this on the down low. He's trying to he's trying to bring the soft approach to it, if you will. Uh, whereas, like you said, Dave, uh, John Walker is just like, I'm just the bull in the fucking China shop. I'm just going to run through everything. I am Captain fucking America. <laughs> so uh, Sam is... Uh, and I and I thought this was a good play on what we know about Sam from the past. So Sam manages to convince John Walker that you know he should be the go in go he should be the one to go in to talk to Carly because he's used to talking to people you know distressed veterans, people who have suffered trauma, and sees that immediately in Carly Morgenthau. And I thought that was a good callback um, it, to what we know about him in the past. And it's a great callback, but it's not actually Sam that convinces him. Sam convinces Lamar. Battlestar and Battlestar is the one that convinces Captain America. Good point. Good point. You know? Absolutely. And, and, and I was going to say, just to build on what you were saying about, you know, I show up and I establish respect. You contrast that with Steve Rogers. I mean, my my favorite defining clip moment of Steve Rogers as Captain America when a uh, one of my friends' children asked me why is Captain America my favorite Avenger, and I point to the scene of the Avengers movie where he jumps on the cop car and starts giving instructions to the cop, and the cop's like. Who are you? Why am I going to listen to you? And then one of the aliens, you know, three of the aliens shows up and Steve Rogers just like kicks all of their asses inside of like seven seconds and then turns back to the cop and the cop just watched all that and turns around and just starts barking out all the orders Captain America gave him. <laughs> just, that is absolutely the, a great scene. The, the ability to just establish that respect and trust and confidence just through presence. And we're seeing Johnny Walker just feel like I should be able to do this and just not doing it again and again and again and you have to you have to feel a little bit for the guy or you have to at least understand what must be going through his head of i should be able to do this and i'm not and i'm failing so he just tries to run at it a little harder and that just makes him fail even faster and so you can see the train accelerating towards a bad place yeah exactly um uh, again, when you have one of the, I'm I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to say one of the world's, you know, leading criminal masterminds. Let's just call him that. I don't know that it's really been established right now, but Zemo, for the purposes of this show, is a is a a a, a world, you know, an infamous criminal mastermind. Why do they keep losing him? It it it. it happened once previously it happens twice in this episode why do they keep just taking eyes off of that guy <laughs> what's great is zemo keeps coming back it's not i mean every time it's happened i'm like oh they're letting you know the inevitable zemo is getting away and okay they're turning that card over pretty quick but zemo always keeps coming back i mean at one point <laughs> sam sam looks at, at john walker and it's like you know this clown over here is more useful to me than you are right now and Z- <laughs> they, the zemo reaction shot is just kind of like a little like yeah I am. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, John Walker, in his impatience, you know, breaks up the meeting between Carly and Sam, where Sam's actually making progress and start of to start, starting starting to sort of talk her down off the ledge. John Walker has to bust in, uh, establish his presence, and things completely. I go- am Captain so- Fucking America. He's going to. I am Captain of Fucking America all over them, and it completely goes sideways. Um, allowing for everybody to split up. There's this huge chase. You know, everybody's kind of chasing everybody through this maze-like facility, and it ends with uh, Zemo shooting at at Carly, who drops all of the 
super soldier serum. It spreads all over the ground. And this is kind of a defining moment of this show for me, um, where they really kind of establish Zemo. At, you know, we, we talked about is Zemo a villain, is Zemo not a villain? And this kind of sets up exactly what we're talking about. Because when presented with the opportunity to increase his power or to stay true to his 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 mission, his goal, kind of his 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 credo, if you will. You know, he opts for the latter. He destroys, you know, as much of the ser- super soldier serum as he possibly can, um, contrasting with something else that's going to happen here in, in literally just a minute. But and it's literally questions in case people miss that what you're talking about. They literally actually have characters asking each other that question throughout the episode just to, yeah. to drive it home in case people are not picking up on the subtlety of the writing of the show. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I thought it was a great moment for Zemo. He's really been a really a, a strong character. I question some of his choices at, at, at certain points of time. He has the opportunity to escape and he keeps coming back like we talk. It's almost a joke um, because he kind of needs to be there to help move this story along. But um, when when it comes down to it. You know, he. I, I like the fact that they're. You know, I, I'm kind of rooting for Zemo at some point. You know, he's he's a major Marvel comic book villain, but I'm kind of rooting for him at points of this whole show because he is. He's true to his vision. He he knows what his end goal is, um, and and he's and he you know, he's working towards that goal, and he doesn't lose sight of that. Where you know other people, their motivations change and question and and and. It's it's kind of it kind of it's they they go to, they keep making the wrong choices. I think he I think every choice he's making so far is kind of the right one. What do you what do you? I think Zemo is a criminal mastermind and a, an incredibly effective villain because of what you're just describing there. He's he is single minded. He does not forget what his mission is. He does not forget what his objective is, and he pursues it with a a ruthlessness and a single mindedness of purpose. Yeah. If, so, that guy, and, if that guy wanted to take over the world, I'm pretty sure he would successfully take over the world. Exactly, exactly. So as, as he's uh, just going off on all these poor super soldier vials of uh, – or the vials of super soldier serum, he takes one of the most brutal shots I've seen in, in this in this series with a shield to the face. Dave, did that look painful? That looked, that painful, looked painful. Not as painful, not as, painful as, as painful what's as coming as up later though, Greg. <laughs> I all you see is this as he's sitting there just gleefully stomping away on all these vials. The shield just wha bam right in the cheek, and he is out cold. Uh, John Walker comes in, sees that there's conveniently one super soldier serum vial that's left, and slips it into his pocket unnoticed. Do you think that's going to come back in, in anytime soon? If he had put an infinity stone in his pocket, it could not have been a bigger foreshadow of what's what's to come. <laughs> So everybody else comes in. John stays quiet about uh, slipping the uh, the serum into his pocket. He doesn't mention it at all. Uh, we catch back up with Carly. Carly is is you know says she's lost all of the, uh, the 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 vials of the serum. Everybody's sad there. And then we get a conversation uh, between John Walker, not in his Captain America regalia, and 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 Lamar Battlestar. Um, talking somewhere over over a beer, and the first of a couple of conversations of 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 would you take the serum comes up, and and Lamar is like, hell's yeah, I would, I absolutely hundred percent. 
And here's where I question. So obviously, John cares a lot for Lamar. Um, but I want to go back to the very first episode of this series um, where we had a, a, a conversation between a female who we haven't seen yet and Lamar. And as they're switching in conversations, they kind of have a little sidebar and they're like, it's your turn. Is Lamar really his friend or is he more of his, you know, enabler, handler? What's the relationship between Lamar and John that you're seeing right now, Dave? I, I actually think it's all of the above. You know, I think he he is a he is a friend, but he's someone who is a subordinate. And uh, anybody who works in professional life, whether it's in an office or whether in a military setting, you you have these people that you're you're friends with who are also, you know, technically superior to you on an org chart. But you're also friends in real life, and that's that's where Lamar seems to occupy, like a Jiminy Cricket on John Walker's shoulder. And we all need those in our life, whether they're a subordinate or a best friend, we need somebody who will just kind of check us when we need it. Like Lamar did when uh, Sam wanted to go and talk to Carly. Lamar was the one who made that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I did kind of jump ahead a little bit because there's a scene that happens here. And a lot of this, because a lot of things lead up to the motivation for John Walker to take the serum spoiler alert. That's obviously what's going to happen, but there's a scene beforehand where the Wakandans uh, actually just- interrupt here which is actually a really good scene and uh it it, i i really get like a a reservoir dogs kind of quentin tarantino likes to do the thing where there's three people in a room and they're all three of them are gonna are gonna square off against each other and that's what happens here because now you get john walker versus you know sam and bucky versus the wakandans and it, it Turns out the Wakandans just fucking kick everybody's asses. Super Soldier Serum or no, they are just they are on fire. They are the pretty much the warrior elite of the Marvel universe. I think it's pretty pretty well established here that if you're gonna go into a fight, you want to go into a fight with the Wakandans on your side, not against them. Yeah, by and Bucky warning John Walker like, dude, this is bro, this is not the fight you want to pick. <laughs> so good, just so good. And and not only are the Wakandans good fighters, sneaky as fuck, because they put a little Easter egg into into Bucky's arm there that they can just hit a couple buttons and have it fall right off him, which I thought was a great scene, just the surprise on his face where the where his arm just literally falls out of its socket. It it, it yeah. I mean that was that's right up there with a something that happened on Star Trek The Next Generation with uh, the character Data. Data has a power off switch. Like, literally, it's a button on the body that you press <laughs> and he shuts off. And I'm like, he's this is a guy with super strength, super intelligence. Like, he, the guy you want on your side in a fight because he's not going to go on. And there's literally an on off switch at the base of his neck that you just have to reach around and touch. And he's <laughs> completely disarmed. Just so useless. It, yeah, it, it makes sense that the Wakandans would do that. They've given him this vibranium arm, and yeah, they trust him, but apparently they don't trust him all the way because they built a failsafe <laughs> in, and the king's guard, all of them know how to use it. Like, yeah. they're ready to protect their king if Bucky does flip out or there's some other secret code words that we don't know about. So, and and John Walker really is the uh, is the catalyst for this whole thing, you know, devolving into what it does. Again, because he wants to be, I am Captain Fucking America. You know, uh, doesn't realize exactly who the who the Wakandas are, and completely gets owned by by all of them. Also, just does not do a damn thing other than get his ass kicked throughout the whole fight. So, I, I the bit where they throw the spear, and the spear threads through 
the straps in the shield mm-hmm. and then the spear embeds in the table. So now Walker is, is just stuck there. Yeah. That is, if, if they had just kicked him right square in the nads and left him in a fetal position for five minutes, I don't know if they could have completely emasculated that guy any more <laughs> than that. <laughs> so, but, but Zemo's reaction as the fight's going on is so priceless. Like I was just expecting him to walk over to the bar and pour himself a drink and offer offer the Winter Soldier and Sam a drink too, because <laughs> they're they're all just like we all hate these people and yeah they're here to kill me but oh they're beating up the people I I hate. Well, let's have a brandy and let's watch the show, shall we? <laughs> well, Bucky also gets that great line in when Sam's like, "Should we help him here?" and 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 Bucky just goes, "You're doing great, John." <laughs> <laughs> just really clever, clever bit of writing that's right there. Um, so and, we and get the. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause to point something. I'm sorry to interrupt your flow. But I read something online that the the windows that are in there, I talk about how it's like your grandfather's, you know, study. Those stained glass windows have the the red, white, and blue color motif on them. And there's a a pattern of three stars. And I read a review online that suggested that that design is actually meant to be evocative of the three people who are really battling over Captain America's legacy. And I don't know that it's it's true, but it's it's very much worth thinking about that this show is not as much about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier as it is about Captain America's legacy and how these characters are helping to drive Captain America's legacy forward. And those, those stars represent John Walker, you know, uh, Sam Wilson and, and Bucky Barnes in their battle for what, what does this shield mean? What does this costume mean? Where does Captain America go from here? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Bucky literally being, uh, uh, Sam's, ego if you will and and just sitting back there saying why did you give up the shield why and he keeps harping on it why did you do it why did you do it why did you do it just compounding on the fact that you could tell that sam was already guilty enough about having to do it but didn't feel he was the man to 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 carry that legacy um even though steve entrusted it to him and there's this bucky from minute one constantly reminding him of that why did you give john the shield i didn't give john the shield well steve sure didn't (laughs) (laughs) so that you know just really is kind of the breaking point for for john walker and then he goes back into the discussion like we'd said with lamar and lamar telling him absolutely you should you should be taking the uh the serum and zemo asks sam right before that would you take the serum and that's right after zemo you know he could have picked he could have done the same thing john did pick one up save it for himself he didn't he stomped all of them and then he's back in his hideout with a cold compress on his forehead from that vicious blow to the, you know, blow from the shield. And he asks Sam, would you take the serum? Yeah. And Sam's like, no. And they have a discussion about that back and forth. So Zemo does escape again during the fight with the Wakandans. And this time he doesn't come back for the rest of the episode. So I'm assuming we'll see him sometime. I don't think we'll see him next episode in episode five. I think he'll be saved for the finale in episode six. Um, I, uh, I, I, I think that this is the, the last and final, um, uh, escape of Zemo until the, until the end game, if you will. Um, uh, but we do have the, uh, another return of, uh, of, uh, Sharon Carter here. Well, we, I guess we should back up for a minute first. I'm kind of jumping around a little bit. So Carly Morgenthau has discovered who Sam's sister is and throws out kind of a, a not so subtly veiled threat to. <laughs> that was a pretty. That's a pretty straightforward threat. 
to to bring to bring Sam back into the fold. She kind of trusts Sam, but she doesn't really um, because you know she she thinks that he's working with Captain America, but she really wanted to think about what he was saying. She also felt that there was a connection there between the two of them, just like Sam did. Um, but you know, since Captain America interrupted it, she's not quite sure if it's legit or not. So she turns to um, Sarah, Sam's sister, to entice Sam to meet her alone, uh, which he immediately blows and does not. But uh, but that but that's okay. It it gets it gets them to where they want to be. So Sharon Carter shows up again and again mentions that the power broker is pissed, which. I, she, this, and she would know, right? She would know if the power broker was pissed. At, at this point, this has to be a ruse that that she's going to be the power broker because it's so obvious that that's what they're going to. Are they going to go with the completely obvious ploy, or is it all a ruse to get us off the track of who the power broker is? What do you? What do you? I. There's no way she cannot be the power broker based on what they, based on what they presented to us so far. But is this a, a situation that that's exactly what they want you to believe? I suppose it could be, but I like the idea that Sharon Carter is the power broker right now in Madripoor. I, I think I think that's I think that opens up more doors than just having her be a you know black art dealer, stolen yeah. art dealer in Madripoor. And she's got satellites. Do what what do art fences need satellites for? You know. Yeah. But what, exactly. what would it, what would a a power broker, if you will, would they have a more use of a satellite? Obviously, they would. So she's got to be the uh, the uh, power broker. And Stan, Sam is just too dumb to see it. I guess is that is that what it is? You know, we we have a, a phrase at my place of employment: uh, assume positive intent. And that's clearly what <laughs> Sam is doing. But I suspect it's going to be to his detriment in the long run because I suspect the reveal of episode five will be that she is the power broker, and then episode six, Zemo will swoop in to save our heroes from the power broker because he's repaying the debt, if you will, of breaking him out of prison. And then the the scales will be balanced and he will disappear in a puff of smoke to reappear sometime in the future. Sometime down the road. You know, like Kaiser uh, Sose. Just, just like Kaiser Sose. <laughs> Good one. I like that. Good pull. <laughs> um, so we get to the big fight at the end. Uh, Sam, uh, for the first time in a couple of episodes, like I mentioned the, mentioned earlier, uh, uh, dons his full-on Falcon regalia because he's pissed that that Carly has threatened his family, and and wisely so. And also, to his credit, does not hide the fact that he's come with backup. He's like, you know, I'm bringing this guy with. I know you said come alone, but I'm bringing this guy with me because you threatened my family. So I think it's I I I, I like his reaction to it. I like him showing up there. Um, but he also has a, a, a little mole in, in Sharon Carter telling him that, that John Walker is on his way. And how she's tracing just John Walker, I, I have no idea. Again, only this seems like something only the power broker would be, be able to do, not so much an art fence. Well, she probably uh, just has to follow the chance of, I am Captain fucking America, <laughs> to be able to find him. It's really, I guess it's really not that difficult. You, you must be right. I mean, he, he does walk around downtown Latvia in, you know, his full Captain America costume, wondering why he's not blending in. Exactly. And that leads us to another uh, Quentin Tarantino-esque Reservoir Dogs-esque moment with, uh, again, three groups battling it out. You've got the Flag Smashers versus Bucky and Sam, 
versus John Walker and Lamar. And things don't go quite so well for Lamar, I guess is what I'm saying. And that was that that was just a ticking clock. I mean, the the fight scenes here throughout this show it kind of remind me of how you watch fights progress with neo in the matrix like they're just clearly establishing when neo is a neo fight in all of this and as he becomes better how he can fight and hold his own against higher quality opponents and then he makes that final leap where he becomes the one and can successfully battle and combat agents you see them clearly establishing the levels here and they're making it very clear that John Walker and Lamar might be really, really good, normal humans, but they cannot compete with superhumans. And yeah. that becomes very apparent very quickly. And honestly, as it should be, as yeah. it should be if it was real life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's why it goes very, very badly for Lamar, where everybody else is getting cool. You know, I'm doing this, I'm dodging this, I'm punching back here. And he's like frantically trying to cut through a rope that's tying him, tying yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, um, it's – there. I, I question that a little bit because there are characters, you know, on the Avengers and Sam himself, you know, has has a special flying suit, you know, is highly trained. You know, the the Black Widow, highly trained, has a lot of gadgets. Hawkeye, good with a bow. Um, but they don't seem to have problems. Uh, but it, it, I like you say, the, the writing was on the wall that they were going to make Lamar the sacrificial lamb. Um, however, is I, I, I'm questioning it because I've, I've been burned by this in the past. It, dead or not dead for Lamar? What do you think? I think dead. You think dead? I think dead or like completely quadriplegic paralyzed. I would go with that because that's, I mean, they, they did that to, uh, uh, Rhodey as well. War Machine. They did that mm-hmm. to, to Rhodey after getting blasted by, by the Vision's beam and then crashing into the earth. He was paralyzed. So at, at the very least paralyzed, but you know, it, unless you see the lights go out in somebody, and I know that he was slumped over there, but it, he was kind of slumped over from the moment he hit the wall. He, he, he could have just been unconscious. I think he's going to be okay. Is what I'm saying. I think he's going to be just fine. There, there was no telltale snap sound effect penciled in of the neck, like they did for Gwen Stacy back in <laughs> Spider-Man, but he, you know, exactly. he looked dead, looked dead to me. Although John yeah. Walker is probably not in the right frame of mind to accurately assess that. So, uh, so his speaking of John Walker, his being revealed as having taken the super soldier serum right now and is just kicking all kinds of ass, bending bars, throwing his shield into the wall, um, just hurtling guys through doors, you know, with reckless abandon, just obviously relling, relishing in his uh, in his newfound power here, um, goes to Lamar's side and and loses his shit and. Again, I brought up last week with you the the sound design of the show, and here they go for a full on, you know, just the with the psycho, um, and not the ee, ee, just with the straight on constant of the of the strings in the background. Again, it's the ringing in the ears, the white noise, just showing that this guy is gonna just fucking snap, and he and he really does. He, you know, he flies out of a window. Superhero pose on top of a van, chases down one of the bad guys, and as the guy's begging for his life, just repeatedly over and over, smashes his shield into this guy's face, chest, something like that. It's not really shown, but it was pretty gory nonetheless. Pretty, pretty sure he beheaded the guy. Pretty that's sure he what, went full Ned, Ned. Pretty sure he went full Ned Stark on him. <laughs> that's what it looked like he was going for. Um, and like the title says, the whole world is watching. Um, I'm going to compare this to a scene 
back in the Black Panther movie when um, uh, uh, when the Black Panther is going after Andy Serkis's character on the streets of Korea, he also corners him um, and is about to make a killing blow and realizes that there are multiple people around him who are filming and stops. You know, so when given the chance to get his ultimate revenge, he stops. Um, because he, one, he realizes, you know, it's the wrong thing to do. And two, he realizes that the whole world is watching. We don't get the same reaction out of, uh, out of our friend John Walker here, who just goes full on. Um, yeah, he, he makes this guy a full on a, a Ned Stark example out of this guy in yeah, front of the he world. Tur- he, he turns him into a Pez dispenser, basically. Turns him into a Pez dispenser. Oh, that is graphic. Um, and... The very last shot, the holy shit moment that I think for me, you know, I I don't know if this is a scene that's straight out of a comic book, but if you've ever seen the movie Sin City, the first Sin City movie, there are so many scenes in that movie that are straight off of the page of the Frank Miller Sin City books that even the movie, even though the movie is kind of campy, kind of heavy handed, I really enjoy that movie because I really enjoyed that comic book. Um because it really it is a comic book brought to life. And this is one of those scenes here where it's like it's it looked like it was lifted off of the page of some comic book. And I don't know if it actually was, but what a great visual at the end. Just great and terrifying, let me put it that way. Um I wasn't proud of it anymore. It was it was frightening, but just what a great and terrifying, you know, image to end the show with, with Captain America standing there, you know, standing tall, you know way larger than life the cameras at a very low angle and just with this shield dripping blood off of it so gory so horrific and just what a what a what a fantastic final scene to end it on yeah i i don't think that's directly from a comic book but the storyline parallels very closely with what i've already described as the the arc of the john walker character in the comics where he started off being captain america exercises some bad judgment and then has a moment where in the comics it's his parents are killed in front of him by a terrorist organization uh, that terrorist organization was the watchdogs and that's the moment where he just snaps and he just brutally kills about 15 or 20 of them there and so it's a little more focused here and that it's his his best friend lamar who's killed and he snaps and goes after and kills one terrorist you know being live streamed to the internet by about 30 people because the whole world is watching. And now episode five, the legacy, you know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, a.k.a. the legacy of Captain America. What happens when your super soldier goes bad? Oh, what happens when your super soldier is now actually a super soldier and you can't easily contain him and bring him back in? Yeah. And this is everything that the Flag Smashers were warning against. Everything that Zemo was warning against um, mm-hmm. is they are tyranny come to life, if you will. Um an interesting and that relates back to an interesting conversation that they had in Zemo's hideout at one point where they were debating the merits of the Captain America and the merits of a super soldier serum and and what happens and how Zemo talks about everybody you know when you become a a supreme being you become a supremacist and somebody says well hey Steve Rogers took the serum and didn't become a supremacist and Zemo kind of cocks his head and looks at him and goes yes but has there ever been another Steve Rogers and that's what makes him such a fascinating, well-written character to me is, oh, here's a guy who should be a villain, who should be, you know, hating on Captain America no matter what. And there he's, he's tipping his hat like, no, Captain America is a, the non-recurring phenomenon that actually proves my point. Yeah.
you got we got lucky with Steve Rogers. We're not going to get lucky again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, that leads us to hurtling into the last act of our, uh, our little three-act play here. Um, completely setting up, you know, everybody having to find out what is the true legacy of Captain America, I guess. And, you know, for a show that's called The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it may as well be called The Legacy of Captain America. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're dealing with. That's what we're dealing with right now. But I'm but loving it. I love the buddy cop vibe between the two of them. You know, the, the Mutt and Jeff dynamic. I'm going to miss... I, I agree with you on the timing of Baron Zemo. I'm going to miss having him in the mix for the, the trio next yeah. episode. But... Hopefully, when he comes back, he'll belt out a couple of bars of Edelweiss for us, and my life will be complete. <laughs> I just need more dancing. I don't care about the Edelweiss. You know, he he sang what was oh what was the song he sang? He did sing a song in this episode. I forget, as he's as he's delivering the candy to the children, he's singing a song. Yeah, but but I want the I want the full sound of music vibe. I, I I'm just I'm just looking for I just want to see some more moves. You know, and I'm gonna go back after we watch this after we finish up recording here. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get some Zima moves down. I'm going to get a, a, a fur-lined trench and just dance my little ass off as well as I do the rest of the episode. <laughs> so, in the meantime, folks, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your ears. And I appreciate you checking out The Wretched Hive. Check us out on Fridays, every other Friday. And in the meantime, we'll be back, I think, next Saturday-ish, maybe next Sunday, to talk about Episode 5 of The Winter Soldier. And, I don't know, maybe we get more than me and just Dave next time, because there are five guys in the show. There are. There are. And I'm going to go enjoy some Johnny Walker Red Label. <laughs> red Shield Label, maybe? Yeah. Excellent. Very good. Let's all tip one back, and uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening, and may the Force be with us all.